Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. You know, some significant things happened this last week in the life of our, our church, our church family. Uh, we had a number of people that, that uh, worked together to touch lives that Jesus says are his special friends. You know, when we see somebody who is holding up the cardboard sign or, or who's living on the street and we, we immediately begin to put them in categories and maybe we can't help that. And we begin to make all kind of judgment calls. You know, Jesus says it doesn't really matter how they got that way. They may have made a series of very bad decisions. They may be in rebellion. They may have just flat shot themselves in the foot. And now they're, they're messed up. Jesus says it doesn't matter. They're still his friends. And this last week, we were able to pull together and to reach some people with the love of Christ that, um, that otherwise would not have, have felt his love this week. And so to me, that's extremely significant. When that happens and when a body of people do that together, that's really the church to me. Uh, for some people, it was a significant week because it's the very first time that some of you that went out and delivered some of those meals were able to see the face of Christ in the poor. There's a strange thing. Don't ask me how this chemistry works but you see Jesus in the poor. You really do. And for some people, that was their first time to see that take place this last week. So that's significant. And, and I just want to say to all those who helped make that effort work, people that donated food items and time and cooked and peeled potatoes and served up the meals and clamshelled them and delivered them and, and did all of that, I just want to say a great thank you. Um, most of all, I want to say thank you to all of you who did exactly what I asked the other day when we left to go deliver the meals. And I just gave a few words of instruction, and one of the things I said was, please do not say God bless you. But if you're going to say anything, say something about Jesus Christ. Say something that will lift up Christ. Like Jesus Christ loves you. He's crazy about you. He has a plan for you. And I know you did that. And the other thing that I'm so pleased that you, you did not do that I ask you not to do is don't brag about it. We see people that do good things, and, and I don't quibble with the good things that are done, but then it's plastered all over, Facebook and other places. And I don't think the Lord gets a lot of pleasure out of that. I think He's much more pleased when we just do it, and, and we do what the Word says. We don't boast in what we've done even though we do it under cover of prayer and all that, but we just do what Paul said. He, he says, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ, my Lord, through which I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. If you want to boast, boast about Jesus and the cross. So thank you for all who did that this last week. Um, I want to take a look at a verse. Turn to the book of Ephesians. By any accounts, an incredible book. Turn to the book of Ephesians, first chapter. 
There are tons of, of memorable phrases from the letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. This is written to a house church, small group of believers who lived in the Asia Minor city, modern-day Turkey, of Ephesus. And Paul had established the church there. He had spent almost three years of his life there, grounding them and getting them ready for what would come. And then he writes this letter when he is in prison in Rome. He's in a Roman prison when he writes this. And he writes to the Ephesian Christians, and, and his letter is chock full of all kind of memorable phrases. He talks about being sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He, he talks about how the eyes of our heart can someday be enlightened, eyes of our heart. He talks about how we are no longer strangers and aliens once we have come into Christ. He, he talks about insights that he, into what he calls the mystery of Christ. He, he, he talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are all memorable phrases that he just tosses out. He talks about how, how Jesus breaks down the barriers that separate people, genders of people, ethnic groups of people, classes of people. Jesus tears those walls down. He talks about and he, he encourages us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called, to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. He talks about being angry. Be angry, he says, but don't sin. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, it's in this letter, along with a whole bunch of other things, speaking the truth in love and don't give the devil an opportunity. They're just all kind of incredible phrases in this incredible letter that he writes to the Ephesian church. All kind of memorable phrases. This, uh, to me, the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesian church, is a mountain peak in the Bible for me. It's the mountain peak. It is it. I've been asking the Lord for several years to, to let me preach a series on this, and He hasn't released me to do that yet. But one day, and to tell you the truth, the problem is it's so full. Where to start? How to do it justice? But to me, this is the high point in Scripture, this book. He, he is, he's presenting to us an overflow of, of the revelation of the mystery of this person we call God. It's just gushing. There's just so much in this letter. He's talking about the Trinity and, and the relationship within God himself and, and that God is really, when you read the word Trinity or you read the word God, just say the word relationship because that's what God is. He's relationship within himself and he wants relationship with us. And, and this letter really grows out of Paul's incredible personal life of prayer. And it contains some memorable prayers that were Paul's, that birthed this letter originally. This is, this is like no other letter that you will find. It will strengthen you like no other book in the Bible will strengthen you, Ephesians. And as Paul writes it and he unfolds it, he's, you can see he's longing for us to read it. Those of us who do read it, he's longing that, that, that we would advance in our faith, that it would build our faith. That after we read it, we would be further along than we were 
when we started, that we would advance in love, we would grow in love, and we would grow in wisdom. That's his heart, that's his hope, and we would come to know the very heart of the Father by the things he tells us in this letter, and the, the one who at great cost sent us his only son, that we'd know his heart. And then he urges us to character growth, that our character would grow and, and be positive. And he, and he urges us, again, as that one phrase says, to live lives worthy of Christ. There's a phrase that occurs over and over again in all the letters of Paul, in Christ. And it's multiplied in this letter especially. In fact, Paul will use that phrase to be in Christ 160 times in his letters. In, in this particular letter, 36 times he uses it. And in the few verses that we're going to look at, it shows up in Christ 10 times. So let me direct your attention. First chapter, begin at verse 3. We'll read down through verse 14. And you tell me, if this thing doesn't just explode with all kinds of meaning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine getting this letter from this man in prison. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Three times in that verse he uses the word blessing. Just as he chose us in him, do you ever think about that? Before the foundation of the world, he had his eyeballs on you before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy. Here's what he chose us for, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption. What a wonderful word. As sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. In other words, he buys us back through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What a wonderful phrase. According to the riches of his grace. In other words, no matter how bad I've been, I can't exhaust what he's able to offer me, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. In him also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of his own possession, to the praise of his glory. He's talking about reconciling everything in creation back to himself. There is a day coming where he will make sense of it all and make everything fit and right. Wow. Do you realize that that passage we just read, it's been dressed up with all kind of dram grammatical repairs so that we can read it in English, but in the original, what we just read is one sentence. Paul was just gushing and gushing and gushing, and he couldn't catch his breath. 
as he's trying to explain what God is pouring through his heart here. But ten times you saw that phrase, in Christ. I want to draw your attention just to verse 3. Because we can't begin to unpackage all of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us. Has he blessed you? Oh my goodness. I mean, we, we couldn't begin to list them all. If every person here took three minutes, we couldn't. Could. If you took 10, if you took 20, he's blessed us. This word says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now we know what blessing is house, food, clothes, car, friends, family. But he's talking about something even beyond all of those things. He's talking about spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I, I can only sum up what he must be hinting at by looking at something else Paul wrote to another church, the church at Corinth, when he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I can't even describe it, how God's been good to us, how he's been good to me. It's indescribable. Thanks be to God. We're, we're in the season of Thanksgiving, right? We just celebrated the holiday Thanksgiving. And when I think about Thanksgiving, I don't know about you, but I think best in stories. When I think about Thanksgiving, I, I think of 10 deformed men who one day were out stumbling through the wilderness and they, they stumbled upon Jesus. They met Jesus. When I think of thanks, I think of their story. Jesus is nearing a village He's got his entourage with him. And he sees in the distance a group of people coming his way as they kick through the, the dirt. The dust cloud is following them, and, and he spots that. And then as they get closer, they dare not get too close because they are all of them, every single one of them, all ten of them are full of leprous sores. Great ulcerated places all over their body, their face, their hands, their limbs, their torso. They're all just putrid sores that are running. They're lepers. Today we call it Hansen's disease. It's an airborne thing. And they're covered with the sores. It's a disease that disfigures and deforms the features. And these walking ghouls are approaching him. And they stop. They know not to get too close. And they call out to Jesus and they ask for his help. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we, we need new skin. And so he doesn't approach them. He doesn't do what he customarily does. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't spit on his fingers and put it on them. He he doesn't really get any closer than they are to him. And, and he says, do this. Turn around and go back toward town. Now that was forbidden by them. Because in their state, they were not allowed to be around the rest of the people. And he said, now go back toward town, which would mean certain stoning for them if they go in this guise. And find yourself the priest and there present yourself to the priest. 
the book of Leviticus, there's several chapters that deal with this awful topic of leprosy and how you come about to be cured and who you have to have your cure ratified by and what it's got to look like. And, and the priests are experts in this department. So go and present yourself to the priests for your cleansing. And they turn around and they head toward town. This is for some probably the first time in years that they've been around normal people. And as they begin to walk near the outskirts of town, one of them looks at the other and notices that the ears and the eyelids that were missing, they're now restored. And I don't know if it happened quickly or slowly, but fingers begin to come back. And flesh that was gnarled and ulcerated and putrid, it began to be replaced by skin as fresh and new and soft as a baby's. And as they began to look at each other and, and at themselves, they were ecstatic to be whole and healed again. Because to be healed means they could be restored back to their homes and their families. Because you see, when you were declared a leper, you were an outcast forever. You were never allowed to come anywhere near people. The only people you could hang around with were other lepers. And in fact, your family conducted a ceremony very much like a funeral. And to your family and to your friends, you were considered dead. And when they spoke of you, they spoke of you in the past tense, you're dead to us. But now they're alive again. And they begin to run toward home. But one of them turns and heads back in the direction of Jesus. It's significant, this one. He's, he's marked out at the end of the story as different from the others in that he is a Samaritan. That means that the other nine are Jews. He's a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews had nothing to do with each other. It was a centuries-long dispute, way beyond the Hatfields and McCoys. But they had separated centuries before over technical difficulties, and they could never get back together. And the Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be outside the covenant, and half-breeds, and unacceptable, and unclean, and the Samaritans returned the favor. They didn't have anything to do with each other. But it tells you the depth of their desperation that this awful sickness, these putrefying sores, this common ailment that they had threw them together and made the strangest of bedfellows out of Jew and Samaritan. The Samaritan turned back to Jesus and fell before his feet and said, thank you. Jesus gratefully receives his gratitude and thanks for the healing. But his question is a haunting one when he says, but where are the nine? Only this Samaritan comes back. Where are the nine? But he gratefully receives the thanks that comes from the lips of this now healed Samaritan. When I think about thanks and thanksgiving and gratitude, I think about that story because that story tells us that when it comes to thanks and thanking God, that thanksgiving must be very rare from God's perspective. Think about it. The percentage of people that are blessed by God every day, that draw breath and have a measure of health and clarity of mind and provision from the great hand of God, 
versus the number of people that take time to say a simple thank you. Nine to one, it tells me that from God's perspective, thanks must be very rare. It's like gold, it's like diamonds. What makes gold and diamonds valuable? They're rare. You'll, you'll go through mountains and mountains of coal to find a single ounce of diamond. You go up around the Mariposa area during the gold rush days, they would wash away entire mountainsides, tons and tons of rubble and rock and dirt to find a few precious ounces of gold. It's rare. And thanksgiving is the gold of spiritual life. Thanks is rare. Thanks to God is rare. Thanks is special. Because it's rare, it's the best of gifts that we can give God who's so generous to us. There's a, there's a, a phrase that Paul uses to a bunch of anxious Christians. He says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, add thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. To all of your prayers, he says, add thanksgiving. And I think, that's a, I think that's a good tip. Don't be anxious for anything, but when you pray, season all of your praying with thanks. Let thanks be a big part of what you say to God. Let it be a big part of it. Thanks is rare. Thanks is real. I, I know that this Samaritan who turned back, to say thank you, to grab the ankles of the Savior, the healer, and say thank you. And it, and it says that he said it in a loud voice. He wanted everybody to hear it. Thank you! Thank you! <laughs> it was real, wasn't it? And I know it was real. And I know it was really sincere, that thanks that came from him. And I know it came from a deep place. Because this man was healed from a serious illness. It was a big thing. I mean, think about the awfulness of leprosy. You know what makes leprosy, Hansen's disease, such an awful thing? Is initially you don't know you have it. It may start with a, a, a numbness in the toes or the fingers. But how many times does that happen? And so you, you write it off. And that goes along for a while. And it begins to creep up your fingers and your toes and your legs. And it's not painful. It doesn't hurt. There are no other effects except that. How many times have I wished I didn't feel something when I hit my finger with a hammer? That's exactly the sensation you get. Nothing hurts. But there's the problem. Because you have no sensation, you're not aware of how hard you're gripping that broom or that shovel handle. And you're doing something against your body, against nature, and you're destroying the tissue. You have no idea how hard you're pressing on your face with the washcloth, but you're destroying your face. And then the sores begin to manifest, and the ulcerated places, and the irritated places, and they begin to fester, and they begin to infect, and then you begin to lose your eyelids, and your nose, and your ears, and your fingers, and your toes. And then your flesh begins to fall off in chunks. It's altogether debilitating. You become more and more incapacitated and more and more hideous to look at. 
and more and more corroded, more and more deformed with every day. That's why in the Bible, in the pages of the Bible, leprosy is a physical symbol of our, of our inward dirtiness. It's, a, it's a, a physical symbol of our separation from God and what an ugly, debilitating thing that is, our sin that separates us from God. Leprosy is a symbol of that, see. It's one of the things that made it so awful. That's why they were outcasts, because they were a reminder of the ugliness that's inside. And then in the middle of all of this, this interview with these lepers, these deformed people, Jesus poses a question. He'll ask in another place. He'll tell a little story. He'll spin a little yarn. He'll say, a man was forgiven much. Another man was forgiven a little bit. Who do you think loves more? Well, it's the one who's been forgiven much. And that's what's happening here. If these, these people, they're, they're sincere the, in, in their gratitude. The, the, the Samaritan is because it's real to him. This transformation is real. His thanks is rare, but it's real for him. Because he knows how bad off he was, and now he alone knows what this healing is all about and where he's come from. If we could ever grasp the ugliness of the things that keep us from God. Some of our habits, some of our desires, our sin. If we could ever grasp the ugliness of the things that cause Christ to have to go to the cross and cause the Father to be separated from the Son. The things that we did that wounded and split God. If we could ever grasp that, and how he's put us back together. Then our gratitude for his mercy, for his forgiveness, for the sacrifice of the cross would never end. Those who've been forgiven much, they love much. We, we, we would see that, that love that never ends and, and not ambition and not money and not sex and not pleasure. That, that becomes the things that our lives are centered around we love God because of what he's done for us. I, I think we, we have to have trouble sometimes to be truly grateful. I think we've got to have problems in life to be truly grateful. Yesterday I went to the barber shop to get a haircut. I was sitting in, you don't have to laugh about that. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't take a whole long time either. But there was an older gentleman in the chair next to me, and we were talking, the barbers and with him, and, and he let us know that he uh, was the primary caretaker for his wife who has Alzheimer's disease. And I asked him, I said, is she still at home? Have you kept her at home? Oh, yeah, yeah. A daughter was watching while he ran out to get his hair cut. But uh, the rest of the time it was him. He cooked, cleaned, bathed, did everything, took care of her. And so I was asking him, you know, what it was like, and, and I said something like, so you really took it serious, you took it for serious when you said for better or for worse, he said, I did, I did. He said, I don't regret it at all. In fact, he related some of the difficulty and, and some of the, the humor, too, that has come with it. 
But he said, but you know, at the end of the day, every day, I thank God every day that he lets me do this. I thank God every day for his blessings to me. Even though his wife, is, her mind is slipping away, and it's a really long goodbye for them, he said, I thank God every day for the blessings he gives me. I think sometimes we do not understand our blessings until we've had some difficulty. There's one more thing that this gratitude story these 10 lepers tells me and thanks is rare and thanks can be very real especially if we've had a tough time but thanks is received by the Lord in a very special way you know sometimes we think I guess that God is so big and he's so together that uh, and he's so busy He's too busy and too big to be affected by my neglect to say thank you. That's not true. When we are thankful, he is so pleased. It touches his heart in a deep place. It's maybe when we are most thankful that that scripture engages that says deep calls to deep. When we're grateful, when we're thankful. There's a story about a great conductor practicing the orchestra for performance. He was a stickler for details, as most conductors are. And they were practicing this great piece of orchestral music that had rumble and roar and noise to it. A lot of volume. There was a piccolo player who didn't feel up to the task that day, and she was playing along, but she wasn't giving it her best. But it was loud music, and who's going to hear the piccolo? And as they rehearsed and went through the piece, she didn't really blow like she could have and play like she could have. And in the middle of the rehearsal, the conductor stopped everything. With all of the noise of the French horns and the bassoons and the tubas and the string basses and all the rest that were causing all the noise, he said, I missed the piccolo. Where's the piccolo? God misses it when we neglect to thank Him. We should cultivate thankful hearts. We should live thankful lives because it really is meaningful to Him to hear us say thank you. There's that curious phrase in that verse, Ephesians 1, 3, there's a curious phrase. It talks about heavenly places. I wonder what he means by that. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I only know this, that in the original, the word place is not there, places. It just says heavenlies. He's blessed us in the heavenlies. I know this. He may be teeing off. He may be borrowing without endorsing from an idea that was current in his day that a lot of people had, that there were a whole bunch of heavens, there were a series of heavens, and and that you could progress from one heaven to the next heaven to a higher heaven and a higher heaven, and eventually when you got to number seven, you were in the presence of God. That was the heavenly, that was the heavenly heaven, that was the closest you could get to God. And he's borrowing that language without endorsing that idea, and he's talking about getting as close to God as we can in the heavenlies. 
that the blessings He wants to shower on us are closer and better than we can imagine. That, that now we can know some of the blessings that one day will be enjoyed completely in heaven. But today we can have a little bit of the heavenly in our life. We can sense a little bit of what one day we'll know a lot of. Remember, in Christ, to be in Christ, to know that Christ is in you, to know that you are in God. That you are in His relationship. He is relationship. Father, Son, Spirit, relating to one another in perfect love and harmony. That we can be in that. That's a little bit of the heavenly. The blessing that He's talking about that we'll know a whole lot more about later. I say it this way. In Christ, the heavenly blessings, to me that means when Christ moves in, I move up. I move up, and the blessings move up too. Well, this has been a little bit of a ramble. But if in this meandering ramble I've, I've made you anxious to read the letter to the Ephesians, I would encourage you to read it slowly. Read it slow. Or, or if I've caused you to think about your blessings the incredible blessings that we have, that you have, and, and to think about the one who blesses you, or, or if I've helped you to carry a thankful heart throughout the week, then for my part, I'll be happy, and I'll be thankful myself. You know, a lot of times we, we end messages on a somber note. How about we don't do that today? There's a, an atheist who was walking through the woods, And he was admiring all of the accidents that evolution had created. And he was looking and he said, oh, what majestic trees. What a, what a, what a powerful river this is. What, what beautiful and intricate animals. And the ecosystem and all the rest, he said. When suddenly he heard a rustling in the bushes Behind him and turning around to look, he saw a seven-foot grizzly bear towering over him that was charging his way. So he ran as fast as he could the other way up the path. And he looked over his shoulder and he saw that the grizzly was narrowing the distance and closing in on him. And he was so scared that tears came to his eyes and his heart was pounding and he tried to run faster than he had ever run in his whole life, but his foot hooked up on a root, and he tripped and fell on his face right on the ground. And he quickly rolled over to pick himself up, but the bear was now on top of him, and it was raising his massive right paw to strike him. And he cried out, Oh, my God, help me! And time stopped. And the bear froze. And the river stopped running, and the forest was silent. And a bright light shined down on the man. And a deep voice came out of the sky. You deny my existence your whole life long. And you teach other people that I don't exist. And you even credit creation 
to a cosmic accident. And now you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to believe that you are now a believer? And the atheist looked directly into the light. And he said, he was a stubborn one. He said, well, I would feel like a hypocrite to become a Christian after all these years. But maybe you could make the bear a Christian. And the voice said, all right. And the light went out, and the river ran again, and the sounds of the woods started up again. And the bear dropped his big right paw and put both of them together and bowed his head, and he said, Lord, for this food which I'm about to receive, I am truly thankful. <laughs> well, I figure if a bear can be thankful, we can be thankful this week. Amen? Let's stand together. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.